1: even though it was transactional, did it give me sort of a framework within which to state a need and try to practice that? Because in my relationship, I still had a fear of vulnerability and a fear of intimacy.
2: Welcome to the Secret Life Podcast. Tell me your secret. I'll tell you mine. When I first started my recovery 11 years ago, I struggled through the textbook-like material on the subject. I wanted to make the addiction and the recovery from it accessible and relatable to more people by telling it in an entertaining way. Well, I'm super excited to announce I've released my first book. iCloud.com. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to Secret Life Podcast. I'm Breanne Davis Gant. Today I'm pulling back the curtains of all kinds of human secrets. We'll hear about what people are hiding from themselves or others. You know those deep dark secrets we probably want to go to our grave with. Or those lighter, funnier secrets that are just plain embarrassing. Really the how, what, when, where, and why of it all. Today my guest is Matt. Matt, I have a question for you. I'm listening. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> what is your secret?
1: Great question. I had no idea that would be the uh, where we'd be starting today. No. Um, <laughs> my, I guess my secret is, this is going to sound really broad. I guess I'm a very, I'm a sex and love addict. Um, welcome,
2: welcome to the club.
1: <laughs> and that is not something that is something sort of recently discovered. Yeah. Um, and that I am still working through after the last nine or 10 months. Um, wow. So that is not something that, um you know, most people would know. Can and you it,
2: tell me about the first moment you actually had to say it or, or it was like, so in your face, you couldn't deny that you had this addiction.
1: It probably was when I uh, blew up my long-term relationship uh, Mm -hmm. last year. Mm -hmm. So that would have been, you know, maybe nine months ago. And I was caught by my, my, by my fiance, uh, basically coming out of a uh, massage parlor. Mm. Um, And uh, so there was that. And in the ensuing conversation later on, it was, you know, was extremely heated, of course, but you know, stating like how often I had been going in the last few years and knowing that I wasn't really able to stop myself and not really sure what was going on. Yeah. I guess I was like, well, I I guess I have to, I don't have any other, I can't think of any other reason. I'm going to have to go with that.
2: Did you ever say to yourself, like, I'm not going to go anymore. This is the last time. Like, I'm not going to do this and then not be able to stop.
1: Yeah. There were definitely times where I'm like, that was fine that should satiate me. I should be good, you know, and then, you know, some weeks go by and, you know, the mood strikes again, you know,
2: or them, or the feelings come up and you just want to get out of yourself. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I was able to compartmentalize of course, and not, you know, keep my, my long-term relationship, my romantic relationship separate from, you know, my acting out. Yeah, And never think that one would affect the other, you know, there wasn't any sort of emotional thing, you know, an emotion, it wasn't an emotional affair. It wasn't like it was with a friend or anything like that. I mean, it was, you know, just, you know, these physical encounters.
0: Yeah.
1: And, you know, I kept thinking, I you know, that it was just sort of like exercise on the side. And uh, so it was, it's definitely a hard truth to realize.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think there is a lot of, of what I am discovering. So I, I went into an inpatient program. Mm-hmm.
2: How was that? I I actually never been into an inpatient program, so I would love to hear about it.
1: Yeah, it was intense. Um,
2: <laughs> I love I love the breath you gave. You are like it's, uh.
1: <laughs> it's exhausting.
2: Well, the whole um, thing is exhausting. Let's be serious. Is, like yeah, it's when very true. when you look at any addiction and you have to like surrender, it is. The worst feeling in the world.
1: Yeah. And I, you know, it was really a period of, of readjustment for me as well. And um, I was, it, I was basically, it, I also went to a sober living house. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was basically me and uh, two other guys. It was supposed to be a fourth, but uh, it was me and th- two other guys. And, but we lived in a sober living house that was mostly for drug and alcohol, um, uh, a drug and alcohol rehab house. And I like to joke, you know, most of the guys in the house were like college age. So it just felt like a dry fraternity house. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, with guys who are 20 years, 25 years younger than me, who were just as boisterous and pulling pranks. And it's like, everyone has to share the damn kitchen. And it's like four floors of dudes in this house. And, and you're like, uh, don't
2: eat my loaf of bread.
1: It really was that kind of thing. It was like,
2: My name to- is on it. I am struggling right now. I can it's barely like- keep it together. Do not eat my sandwich.
1: <laughs> I ordered that gnocchi from Trader Joe's. It's my favorite. <laughs> um and uh and then it was so it was like that was, you know, two weeks. It was a two-week program. It was sort of sober living house, um, you know, strict as far as like when you get, when you woke, when you wake up, you know, you, you have no, you can't drive yourself. You relinquish your phone for part of, you know, each day and at Mm -hmm. night. Um, And then of course, during the day, we're doing group therapy. And it's, so again, it's me and three other guys and it's, you know, eight hours a day, group therapy in the middle, we go to a meeting um, and uh, for, you know, group meeting Mm -hmm. and we have homework every night and we have individual therapy session each day too. Um, Yeah,
2: that's intense. I mean, it really, yeah.
1: And you're peeling back a lot of layers
2: very Um, quickly. And then the scary thing though, and I have to say this is I've talked to a lot of people that's done the inpatient, but then you have to come out into your life and then kind of readjust
0: completely because
2: you have to like, now you're in this safe place for two weeks and then you come in your life and you're like, wait, what am I doing now? (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, and it was interesting to come out and have a, have assignment in a, in a way because I came out and mm-hmm. they immediately assign you to do a 90 meeting in 90 day for, and I'm like that standard. And again, I thought, okay. I can do this 90 meetings in 90 days. That's fine. I can do this. Um, and then still meet with a therapist there at this particular uh, company. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I had had a previous therapist, my own for like six, seven years. And I kind of saw her one more time and then said, I, I can't do both. So I'm going to just do the the one, the actual CSAT therapist. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And then it was just sort of like treating it like going to school for three months. It was like, and being intense about my studies and doing the 90 meetings in 90 days, got a sponsor worked in the steps and, you know, and doing a lot of self-discovery. And during that time also, you know, my relationship had blown up. So it was finding I had to move out and it was like getting a sublet and then, you know, trying to, and still communicating with my ex and still figuring out whether or not we would even be able to move forward. And, you know, can we do all of that? So you're right. It was a lot of readjustment in that regard and a lot of figuring out for me and learning about, you know, here, and I, I, been through a lot of realizations, so you're yeah. kind of catching me after all this stuff.
2: <laughs> no, I want to hear the revelations, and if you're you looked back in your life and and saw why you did the things you did, why you use those oh, behaviors, so yeah, oh, so tell much. us. I,
1: I, I learned about trauma repetition in therapy when I was a kid. I had um, sexual abuse from uh, a family member, and then also a boy outside the family who was older than me. Right. Um. So. I learned, and I have always been. This is the thing that I would hide from people: is I've been a sexual person. I mean, a very sexually expressive person, in my own way, but hiding it from people. Um, I was very. I I didn't mind experimenting with one or with men or women. Right um and but, I learned, like in those situations with men, first of all, that it was more of a trauma repetition role that I kept playing, right you know, just basically repeating the same thing of me being not in control and, and being molested
2: and taken advantage of and
1: taken advantage of, yeah, and thinking I could control it and differentiate the outcome, but not really ever being able to relax in those situations, but I would continue to have those i mean i I you know saw that situation a number of times.
2: Yeah. It was almost to re-traumatize yourself because you internally or subconsciously, you, you were taken advantage of. So it,
1: you just- Yeah. It, it's weird. What's fascinating is having a template set for yourself by someone else. Yeah. You, know, you didn't order this template. You didn't ask for this template um, because it kind of went along with the abuse from the family member. How long did that go on? That went on for probably two or three years from a female-
2: Wow. Yeah. And
1: it, but it was again, a passive thing. It was sort of like, I would be prompted when I would need to show up in that way. I had no control over that. I didn't, I was not the, I couldn't decide oh, right. now this is the time. And it's, I was probably 12, 13, 14, 15. And then she was several years older than I was.
2: Here's my question for you. And you don't have to answer it if you feel uncomfortable, but do you think being 12 or 13, you also, even though you were getting taken advantage of, that there was a part of you that was attracted by it Completely. or turned on by
1: it? Completely. Um, I remember even an incident of at, at one point, you know, because I would look for I would I would wonder if those moments were going to happen. Right. And it was never about me either. It was always me having to, it was for her pleasure, not for mine, but it, I still was attracted to it, still wanted it, still was kind of turned on by it. And I remember even one time, like trying to go to her room at like three in the morning and thinking that I, something would happen, but it's three in the morning, you know, people are <laughs> sleeping. But it was like, I don't know what was motivating me to do that. But you're, you're right, there was definitely some confusion. But what I've, what I realized, you know, through therapy and there's the template that it set um, as for me being passive in a certain way, And not comfortable with stating any of my own needs. And that
2: that makes sense. That completely makes sense when you say it like that, that then you would do that in the future because you had no control over yourself then.
1: Yeah. And I felt that I was, I only had worth if I was desired. If someone wanted me in that way, I needed to be available to them. So I wasn't very choosy about partners. It was like, oh, this person wants me. Okay. They can have me. Mm. Um, I wasn't that choosy. So a lot of the peeling back of the layers is with me acting out as far as outside of my, the, the, this, when I acted out outside of my long-term relationship, it was the first time I'd actually really done it. And it went on for a number of years. And it's been a lot of like figuring out, was that me trying to, even though it was transactional, did it give me sort of a framework within which to state a need and try to practice that? maybe that's one of the things that i was thinking of because in my relationship I, i still had a fear of vulnerability and a fear of intimacy
2: And And for asking what you need?
1: And asking what I need. And I didn't ever feel comfortable. And I had been married previously too. Yeah. um, Before before this last relationship and same thing there. Um, There was no infidelity in my marriage, um, but it was definitely the same sort of thing. Like I'm waiting, you know, it's like, I'm just sort of like waiting to be activated. (laughs) Right. Your partner needs you sexually. You have to show up. Oh, okay. Even Even if
2: if you don't want
1: to. Even if I don't want to, I'm going to take this opportunity. And the fact that I would want sex anyway, but Mm -hmm. I just didn't even know how to ask. I didn't even know how to sort of bring it up. It was very difficult for me in that regard to state a need because that puts the other person gives the other person power. They have leverage to deny me or reject me, and you know.
2: Yeah, that makes complete sense. So, doing that work with your therapist and looking at these transactions you were doing to disconnect from your reality. Also, it was like a way to like be a separate person than in your marriage or your relationship. Do you feel that?
1: Yeah, I do. And I, and that's maybe the part of the compartmentalization that happened. I think it sort of gave me a set, like I said, a framework or sort of boundary within which it was safe. I had actually started as far as the transactional, that particular slice of the pie. Mm -hmm. Um, I had started seeing sex workers, uh, after I got divorced and this was probably like 13 years ago. Mm -hmm. It was maybe once a month. Um, I mean, not even that, you know, so I would go through periods where there would be none. And then I seemed like, you know, and then there'll be a few more. I guess in a way, it was a way for me to set boundaries that if I did stay in need, it wasn't, I didn't feel like, oh, a relationship, quote unquote, is ruined because I've upset them or offended them. There's already set boundaries that this is a transactional thing. You can mm-hmm. still have fun and everyone sort of knows what the rules are. And you're not going to get a text later that says, I can't believe you asked for that or I can't believe you said, that, you know. Yeah, um, it's a
2: way of safety too to, to yeah. like protect yourself.
1: In a way. Now, I didn't, here's the thing, it's like I didn't obviously do it well enough because I hadn't practiced, you know, I hadn't gotten over my fear of vulnerability or fear of intimacy in time for my next long term relationship because it, I still somehow wound up going back down that route. And I, I, what I'm realizing is sex is not the problem. Sex is never the problem. Sex is neutral. Sex is a symptom of something. Sex is else.
2: just a small little sliver. It's usually not even about the sex. It's about what right. why you're using the sex and how you're using the sex. If it's a power, if it's a control, if it's a disconnect, or it's transactional and there's boundaries and you can't get hurt by this person, or you know, you can't hurt them or they can't hurt you. It's yeah. just a small thing.
1: And that's what I've been trying to figure out since this. And, you know, trying to make those you know, real uh, deep self-realizations, you know, about myself, you know, whether it's through therapy or working in with my sponsor or program or, you know, other fellows and um, doing readings and things like that. journaling, everyone always wants you to journal.
2: Journal. They love, write your feelings down. My favorite was my first sponsor was like, just like scribble and write like, You can even be like, God, I hate you, like blah blah blah, and it actually really works. But I hated doing it. I would have to be in like the biggest amount of pain to actually sit down and journal. <laughs> I hated it.
1: <laughs> it. It's it. You know, it's well, yeah. In some ways, it gives me it gives me a chance to write more mm-hmm. than I, I I used to write creatively, and it's like I really got out of that. So like, unless. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's in some ways I'm like, it's good practice, you know, no,
2: it's great. It's don't, don't listen to me, but I'm just saying like, <laughs> I just hated it because at that time, my first year of withdrawal in the program was nine months. It was brutal. Like I cried every day for nine months. And I remember like having to journal and just writing the same thing over and over again. It was that all that trauma was just stuck in my body and I could not like get it out. Yeah. So I've been yeah. there. And, I, but I do want to go to like the first time you walked into the actual, you know, room and how that felt. I'm always curious when I hear about people's first time walking into the room.
1: Mm. If you remember. Um, I, yeah, I I do. I think, um, I mean, I, fir- well, I, I first went to there were, cause you know, there's different versions of the same group, Yeah, you know, um, and I mean the first one I went to was not in I don't know, if, you know, about you know, in terms of am I able to give the acronyms for these groups like SA or
2: Yeah, you um, can totally. SA, okay.
1: Mm-hmm. okay. I mean the first the the literal first group I went to in this arena was SA, which mm-hmm. is extremely strict and has more of a religious bent and I felt uncomfortable. Um
2: I've been to a lot of SA meetings. I like, when I travel, there's more SA meetings than SLAA. So I, I yeah. know what, exactly what you mean.
1: Yeah. And I, I immediately was like, this isn't, this isn't, this isn't
2: me. for me. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> because it was too much like, like you, the only way forward is a, is a life of abstinence mm-hmm. or a life of celibacy. And I'm like, I'm not trying to be a monk.
0: <laughs> I want to
1: have a healthy sexuality and I like yeah. to be, you know, it's like, I'm not looking for that. I'm so my first SLA meeting, my first law meeting was a, was a morning meeting and on the weekend. And it felt much more what I needed because the speaker was even just sharing about like more about like, um, you know, uh, go, going after unavailable men, mm-hmm. you know, what, what was she denying herself? What was she hiding from herself? And that, I loved that emotional aspect to it and that relational aspect to it. Um, a lot of the conversations with my ex, you know, which were extremely painful and I will forever be remorseful about pain and the pain that I caused her and, you know, the betrayal. But, um, you know, I, it, I think in her mind, the only way forward for me would also have been abstinence or cel- celibacy. And, and it's really hard for me to sign on for that. Yeah. You know, like even a no masturbation clause, I'm like, I can't guarantee that. I just can't. I, just can't. I, I, don't, I, I don't know how I can, that to me is just a healthy part of being a sexual person. I'm, I can't. I know, agree.
2: But- I agree. But I do think you have to take it out of your life, work on what's underneath it, and then you bring it back in a healthy way.
1: Yeah. So there was definitely a period of, you know, after coming out of the inpatient, there was definitely months of complete abstinence and celibacy and, and working on this stuff. And that I see it as, you know, as a system reboot. You yeah. Know. Um, it's a rebuild. And,
2: You're breaking yourself yeah. down to then yep. repair yourself.
1: Yep. And my thing was, you know, I would hear stories from guys in SA and that's why I went to, I went to like one or two other SA meetings and it mm-hmm. just was like, oh my gosh, that some of, some of the, with the stories that I would hear from someone who had spend six, seven hours watching porn, I'm like, I've never been that. Right. I, I I could go weeks and days. I could go days and weeks without seeing it at all. It's just, I mean, it's, but I, but I don't, I definitely don't argue with a detox. I don't, that's fine. I, yeah. you know, but I never felt like I was at that level where I was ignoring work or not sleeping or not eating. I'm like, no, you know, we have that whole halt.
2: Hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. <laughs> <laughs> and I would tell
1: my therapist, and this was even during the inpatient, they were sometimes bemused by me because they would be like, well, you know, when, what are you doing when you, when you sexualize anger? I'm like, no, when I'm angry, I don't feel sexual. When I'm hungry, I eat. When I'm lonely, I will call my mom. When, <laughs> when I'm tired, I will go to sleep. I tended to only be, I can be, when I'm happy, mm-hmm. then I can be sexual. And it's like, they would be like, huh, okay. <laughs> I So there weren't things that I was able to easily avoid. And it's like, I didn't feel as completely off balance.
2: Well you were um, functioning too So yes you were I, functioning you weren't like down on the street like getting a prostitute you were still functioning in your everyday life so that's that's yeah. when it can get a little gray and people that are listening yeah. you know it, you think, oh I'm not as bad as that person or I don't do it as horrible as that but if it's still a problem in your life and it's hurting somebody you care about, that's something to look at.
1: I know. And I don't mean to dismiss it at all. Or, or no, you're not. Sort of, you're I, not you know.
2: at all. You're not dismissing it. You're telling your truth, which I totally love. But, but I just want the listeners to know y- you can have these behaviors that don't affect your life completely, but still are keeping you disconnected from your life. It doesn't Absolutely. have to be extremes. I,
1: mean, I still ended a long-term relationship and blew it up. And yeah. it was a good relationship, you know, and every relationship has its pluses and minuses, but- I still feel sad. I mean, I'm I'm going to feel sad for a long time about it anyway, but like, I couldn't. And so like, obviously I could be like, oh, I wasn't as bad It's whatever I did or didn't do mm-hmm. still ended a, a good long-term relationship. And But sometimes um, the
2: worst things like that have to happen for there to be healing. And I'm sure your ex down the line will understand. And it's like the people I have hurt now on the other side, 10 years, 11 years later, I'm so grateful for them hurting me and me for hurting them because I got to hmm. heal and grow and now give back to other people.
1: That's amazing you say that. I didn't think about like being yeah. thankful for.
2: And crux. if if a, a person is listening and they've been cheated on or they're the cheaters, it's like it doesn't have to do. With the other person, she could have been the most perfect partner and it, this is your own stuff, you know, so there's nothing wrong with her. There's nothing wrong with you. Yeah. It's like our own stuff sometimes sabotages our life.
1: Yeah, and I'm... I'm mad at myself that I had these blind spots in my That's
2: okay. You're human. <laughs> if, mm. You know, just like I've done some <laughs> horrible things. I mean, I've written about the horrible things. I've been a terrible person, but that doesn't define who I am. Those are just behaviors I did to survive. The trauma, the things done to me out of my control.
1: I'm trying to get there.
2: You will get there
1: It's, it's tough <laughs> uh, this was the, this was the thing that comes up a lot and it, even when my previous therapist who uh, you know like I said I saw her for years, I saw her you know um, and she used to <laughs> because I try so hard to be perfect Oh
2: that's the worst perfectionism That's the worst character yeah. defect I have it too. <laughs> she, yeah.
1: she would call me a robot She would basically like I'm trying to be a robot. I'm like I allow other people to be imperfect. I would never criticize anyone for a mistake. I allow everyone to make a mistake. I don't show up with any sort of expectations of being disappointed or anything like that. But oh my gosh, I cannot disappoint anybody. You
2: cannot. I can't. You're invincible. You're supposed to be a superhero. You can't disappoint.
1: Yeah. yeah. It's and so that's silly why, what our
2: attic brain I tells know. us. Like we have to it's be the, weird. and what is defined as perfect? There's no definition. Everybody's perfect is so different. So there's no definition for perfectionism. If you think about
1: it. Yeah, no, you're so, and I, I think in my head, I had something where it's like, well, someone can't find fault with me or a reason to not like me. Mm. Like I got to the point of hiding so much about myself. And even not, it would become like a joke that I couldn't even say, oh, I like this. This is my favorite or have an opinion. <laughs> Someone would be like, you like what? Oh God, you've, now, now my opinion of you has changed. Like, <laughs> really, you like that movie? Yeah, it's like, I couldn't even say, cause it's like, I couldn't, it's almost like I wanted to be a blank tableau.
2: Blank canvas
1: canvas and like people can write onto me what they want. I would even have, I deal, I'd see a lot of people in town. I I mean, in terms of my business, mm-hmm. I interact with hundreds of people in, in a sort of a client, you know, partner relationship.
0: Mm-hmm. And I
1: never, I couldn't even tell, like mention if someone was being familiar with me, like, oh, do you have any plans for the weekend? Or if someone mentioned, if anything came up about be, being in a relationship or something, I just wouldn't share because I didn't want anyone to know anything about me.
2: You wanted it's to be like an I, enigma.
1: In a way, and, you know, and I, and as far as like in, in, in a relationship, I wanted to show up in a way that I, someone couldn't find fault, whether it was, I'm being supportive. I'm doing stuff around the house. I'm, I'm, you know, taking care of my part of the bills. I'm, you know, I never wanted anyone to be like, oh, you know what? You really could do better at doing the dishes. Nope. I'm going to be awesome at doing the dishes. You're never going to have to complain about the dishes not being done.
2: Wow. The stress (laughs) of that had to be unbelievable. To- I'm realizing
1: that yes, I. This is the thing of me going backwards. I'm like the last few years of the relationship. As as much as there were so many great, great times, I was becoming like mentally and emotionally exhausted internally. Yeah. I was shutting down inside.
2: And maybe you um, going to those massage parlors was your only place you could actually breathe and just be.
1: Yeah, it's likely. It's not ideal, I realize. No,
2: it's not ideal. I'm not I'm not telling people like, go do that. But it's like, <laughs> that's where you have to have forgiveness for yourself because that was the only time you could just like be. Because wearing that mask had to be exhausting.
1: And I could have, The what makes me angry about myself is that I could have actually just tried to have a conversation. But again, my fear of vulnerability and my yeah. fear of like, I didn't know how to say these words and I didn't want to blow up the relationship. I didn't know what the result would be. I just, it was better for me. I couldn't say anything. Yeah. So I just compartmentalized. Um,
2: So these secrets and this, this, this shame that you're still feeling, I can feel it in your voice. I like to attach the seven deadly sins, not in the religious sense, more in the character defect sense. So let me name them for you. If any of them ring true to, to holiness. So we got pride, greed, lust, gluttony, envy, anger, and sloth.
1: I mean, I, m- the first one that jumps out is lust.
2: Obviously, yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, got, I mean, I can go for that for sure. <laughs> okay.
2: What about the other ones?
1: Interestingly, possibly, and I, I'm thinking of this because someone else might have, they made the same assessment of, of my behavior was greed. Ooh, why? Well, because it was like, I got greedy about wanting more in my life Mm -hmm. than what I already had. It's like, it wasn't enough to have a good relationship. I had to, I was greedy for more outside of it.
2: Yeah. What about pride?
1: That's an interesting one.
2: With the perfectionism and your ego of like wanting to always be perfect.
1: Yeah. Um that's a great no oh, wow, that's a good one that's wow that's a great observation. <laughs> there is probably a pride in that because I think I would still think that I was going to be I would could be compared favorably to other boyfriends or fiancés or whatever that I'm still everyone would be like oh he's the best you know. And I guess you're right there would be a pride in some ways though it's like I've made this you know equivalency in therapy like getting a report card. It literally yeah. was like, I treated this like either a schoolwork or be a job. Yeah. And I wanted to get high marks and get A's on my report card as a boyfriend or, get, you know, get a gold star as I showed up, you know, in terms of like, this was my job and we have no complaints about you, you know, um, congratulations. You get a promotion or whatever. Um,
2: Everything you're saying right now is there's no surprise that it all crashed and burned because really? the pressure to live like that has to it, it it it's gonna you're gonna burn out you're gonna do something probably to blow it up because you can't perform at that level of like disconnection and it being like a report card
1: i'm learning that now yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah and as he
2: laughs uncomfortably
1: oh <laughs> uh, this is just my way
2: <laughs> yeah no Actually, i know
0: people, i love it
1: oh in inpatient program they were they were constantly annoyed that i would do this they would be like they wouldn't yell at me be like stop laughing it's like i can't help it i just some of this stuff is so insanely ridiculous and they're like they're so obvious now why didn't i make these realizations
2: <laughs> because you didn't have the tools
1: i didn't have the tools i didn't have the objectivity. No, um, I didn't have someone leading me through it.
2: Yeah. So uh, what's the, now looking at everything you've gone through these last nine months, what was the benefit of keeping this secret, this, the way you performed in your life? And what was the harm?
1: Benefits were, I mean, benefits were that I guess it, it allowed me to fulfill a need on my own terms. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, not saying right or wrong, but I guess I, I was able to, get needs met on my own terms, even though it was outside the relationship. Right. Um, downsides are that I didn't show up 100% as, an, as a, you know, warts and all. Right. Um, so people didn't know me and and not valuing the fact that showing up warts and all doesn't mean, it means you're relatable. Yeah. And that's one of the things I've learned in program and learned in therapy is like, Nobody wants a perfect person standing in front no.
2: of you no I think the flaws are what makes us beautiful and I think and I've said this a number of times, I think this: when you see someone that's like hit rock bottom and then they come all the way to the other side, they are the most beautiful people to me
1: and that's what I'm learning i that i can I, that I can even say something about myself that will cause a person. To not like, and maybe I should maybe not like isn't the the right term, but they'll be like, nah, I really don't want to hang out with you, and be okay with it,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and not and value the fact that it's okay if not, I mean if not everybody approves of me,
2: not you know? not not, and that's what I learned. I also like not everybody's gonna like you, and that is okay as long as your side of the street is clean and you didn't harm anybody. It's okay if someone doesn't like you.
1: Yeah, and, and that's. And as as you know, I've made the same realization. Like you can you can show up in what you think is the best, kind, most perfect way, and someone could still not like you. Yeah. And there's nothing you can do about it.
2: Nothing you, you can do about it. it. Yes. Yeah. And ninety nine percent of the time, it has nothing to do with you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's
2: okay. Just,
1: yeah. Well, I I I was talking to my therapist a lot about it, and it's like I should just be bold and like actually experiment with being not liked.
2: Ooh, that's a great exercise. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, don't go be an asshole to anybody, but like, just like walk in. Like, you're like, I don't care if you like me or not.
1: (laughs) Right. I can say that I like this unpopular movie or I can say that I did this activity or that it's like, and people were like, Ooh.
2: Okay. Name your popular movie you like right now. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Just name one. Come on. Own it.
1: Oh, uh, I have so many. I just, just
2: don't name know if a I couple. <laughs> Come on, do it, do it.
1: Uh I'm a I'm a giant nerd, so it's it's gonna fall into the Star Trek Star Wars vein. Um oh. and I like the odd I, I like the odd number Star Trek films and a lot of people don't, but uh I love the Star Trek films.
2: Listen to me. I hate those (laughs) movies. I fell asleep. The last one that came out at the theater. My husband made me go watch it and he will tell you I fell asleep. And through the whole movie, when I was awake, I was like, oh, so there you go. I hate your movie. And that is okay. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Um, My last question. Good. My last question for you before you go is. How are you going to move forward in the future?
1: I'm going to move forward honestly. <laughs> um, I'm going to move forward in a vulnerable in a more vulnerable fashion. Mm-hmm. I feel like I don't need to be unaffected and I don't by, by life and I don't need to be impenetrable and I want to be able to be more accepting of all sides of myself.
2: Oh, I love that. You want to be more accepting of your shadow and your light.
1: Yeah yeah because that's and- what
2: makes a whole person.
1: Yeah, I was just talking to a fellow in program last night about it, you know, and actually stating things to her that I don't think I really mentioned to, you know, other people. So, and she did the same and,
2: you know. I love that.
1: And just like not worry. Yeah, it's, it's just, yeah, it's, it is accepting all sides of myself.
2: Well, thank you for coming on and sharing this and sharing your secret and being so open and vulnerable with us.
1: Well, thank you for giving me the opportunity. This was, this was really wonderful.
2: And if you want to be on the show, please email me at secretlifepodcast at iCloud.com. Until next time. Thanks again for listening to the show. Please subscribe, rate, share, or send me a note at secretlifepodcast.com. And if you'd like to check out my book, head over to secretlifenovel.com or Amazon to pick up a copy for yourself or someone you love. Thanks again. See you soon.